Welcome or welcome back to the Bicultural Identity, a podcast created from the experiences unique to young Asians raised in a Western society. We're your hosts, Connie and Jenny. Our weekly episodes contain conversations around social issues, pop culture topics, and nostalgic childhood memories that are significant in our lives as second-gen Canadians. Once again, Connie will bring us through the episode introduction. Right, so when we did our very first podcast episode, which was Eastern versus Western beauty standards, we mentioned that we would do a separate episode for fashion. So today we're kind of just going to run through the differences we've observed between Eastern and Western fashion, and also mention like streetwear, which is really big in Asia and the Asian American community, as well as um, Jenny and I have been watching a show called Next in Fashion. We just finished it recently. There's like certain Asian creators in there that are worth talking about as well. So there's a lot of things to cover in this episode. Yeah, it feels like we literally just recorded the beauty standards episode, but it's actually been like what are we at now? 12 episodes? Yeah, this is our 12th episode. Pretty crazy. That's And three we months. had some throwaway ones, so... Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I think, like Connie said, this is a really large topic to talk about. And I think in this case, it's the first time recording a podcast where we've been desperate for, like, visuals, you know? Yeah, at first I was kind of doubtful if this episode would even be interesting because fashion's so visual. Like, you'd probably prefer watching fashion content on YouTube rather than listening to it on a podcast. But I think we're not so much going to describe fashion and more just discuss social implications of it and Mm -hmm. like some history behind it and our own opinions and Mm -hmm. stories. So, yeah, I think that brings us straight into the first topic where we want to cover some differences and similarities. And I just think the biggest difference that we could come up with is just how there's a large degree of value towards conservative ways of dressing in Asia as a whole. Yep. When we visited Korea, was it Sunny that warned you or you just kind of knew? I think it was actually the YouTube vlogs that we watched for like girls who went to Korea and Japan. And it was just like advice they provided. So one big thing is you shouldn't actually show your shoulders or like Mm -hmm. it's not like as taboo as some countries that have rules like that based on religion. It's more like a lot of older people will probably give you dirty looks. Yeah, I think there's just this culture where I've heard of girls literally being approached by like older women on the streets who would ask them to cover up or something. I think in Asia, or actually this is Korea specifically, I think, and maybe Japan. I don't know about the other Southeast Asian countries, so you can let us know as well, but it's much more promiscuous almost to show your like chest area and your shoulders mm-hmm. versus like wearing your a really legs. mini skirt, you know? Yeah, that's what I've noticed too. Like in K-pop, if there's a sexy concept, it usually means they're showing their shoulders and like their collarbones, but then like cute concepts are when they're wearing like mini skirts. Yeah, even the innocent groups, they wear like really short skirts. Mm-hmm. And it's seemingly okay. We're currently watching a few uh, Chinese dramas that if we figure out by the end that they're good, we'll recommend them eventually. But they deal with a lot of um, young female topics. And I think it comes up a lot in Chinese dramas too about society just criticizing specifically what women are wearing, I think. You can't be taken seriously in society if you're dressed sensually. And Asian fashion in general, I think, tends to revolve around being more professional almost Mm -hmm. because... In that society, in order to be taken seriously, you kind of have to look like you're well off and have a good job and, you know, really put together and everything. I think it's worth to point out that there are multiple kinds of like what you can define fashion as. And maybe we should clarify like which area we're talking about because there's like true fashion, you know. Yeah, like high end catwalk. Yeah, high end fashion, but like also just like 
daring fashion or like challenging the boundaries but then there's also like everyday fashion so like mm-hmm. for us it'd be wearing like lululemons back in the day or okay like yeah i was like people not, who were <laughs> birkenstocks or whatever um that's like i would call it casual fashion right like how right. everyone's doing it and then so i would say in comparison at least in asian societies i've seen the older population does that casual fashion and it's very funny like, you can see TikToks of it. Like, you know how, like, men in Beijing, for example, roll their shirts up and expose their giant stomachs? Oh. <laughs> and, like, very casual, very, very, very casual wear. But that's, like, normal I didn't even Asia. consider that fashion. Yeah, but, like, on the streets of Asia, it's normal to see that. Yeah, that's more like everyday people, mm-hmm. like, how they dress. Speaking of this, when I traveled to Korea and Japan, less so China, but I think it's becoming more and more like that, everyone on the streets is putting in so much effort to dress well because I think it could be this idea of like Confucianism where you have to work hard in every aspect of your life including the way you look which is actually side note why Koreans are super approving of plastic surgery a lot of the times it's because they think like you can even work hard to change your face and be prettier and Mm -hmm. it's commendable but anyways it's just really respectful in these countries to dress well and so I genuinely observe that when I visit those countries and like I'm on the subway or something and everyone's dressed super nicely. I honestly don't know why we in the Western society make it so difficult for ourselves to dress well. I think it comes into like my business side is coming out, but like the volume of sales you can really pursue in the Western society because we're not super like populated, you know, but in Asia, even like side streets that sell just like super cheaply made clothing. Yeah, it's not. They're good still like well designed. Yes. Like they're still cute. Agreed. You can still wear it. Sometimes it's one size fits all, so it's like definitely excluding a large, like a decent customer base. But there's still like so many options. If you go to Japan, there's like the store in um, Shibuya. Are you talking about Shibuya One Hundred Nine? Yeah. So there's like this clothing department store almost in Shibuya in Tokyo. And it's just, like, every store is catered to a specific but very niche style of, like, women's fashion in Japan. Yeah, it was super cool. Like, women's fashion in Japan is so cool in the sense where there's, like, Lolita stuff and, like... Next segment, Jenny. Yeah. Next oh, segment, wow. we're going to okay. mention that. Um, but, yeah, you can tell Connie did the planning for this episode, and I'll do the planning <laughs> for a different episode. That's delegating work. Anyway, basically... It's really cool how they can tailor these stores to very specific styles of clothing that are also daring and like niche, you know? Here, I think we don't get a lot of that. In high school, our only choices were like American Eagle. For real. And if you want to be really like fashionable in a basic girl way back in high school, <laughs> you'd want your Lulus. And Brandy your- Melville was the oh, bougie stuff. Brandy Melville. But everyone wanted their Lulus and their um, TNA mm-hmm. hoodies. And halt! Oh my God, those days where you wanted Hollister shirts and like um, Abercrombie and Fitch just written across your chest. Yeah, Aeropostale. What? Like, wow! <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. Uggs. Okay, I need to stop myself. <laughs> this is specific to North America, but yeah, I think so. Jenny, do you think we should like talk about men a little bit too? Just so we can be inclusive, you know? True. Our audience has some men in there. <laughs> and just as a disclaimer to our previous episodes where we've talked about, like, being more, you know, woke about other people, we're talking about specifically two genders right now because back in our elementary school days, those were, like, the only two options. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I think back in those days, like, the boys in our school, they didn't even have to consider fashion. They just wore their graphic tees, you know? Yeah, jeans. like, literally they had no choices and it's so sad. 
it's sad that men, even if they want to like push the boundaries of fashion and try something different, it's kind of shamed upon. Mm-hmm. I think at the same time, back when we were in school, the consequences of being passionate about fashion for men was like they would, you know, other boys would call you gay or like they try to slander you with terms like that. But in Asia, that's not an issue because everyone has uniforms. Yeah. And then students are just dressed really conservatively and similar anyway. Mm-hmm. I think Asia's actually a bit more open to like men's fashion and they like started the whole you know hype beast movement and everything which we'll touch upon in our second part of this episode yeah i think it's like this weird thing about how asian societies have always felt like this weird tie to like black culture um, black culture yeah yeah. like hip-hop culture and everything and that's probably where like the whole hype beast movement came from or that's definitely where the whole hype beast yeah yeah it stems from from old hip-hop culture in new york and like yeah That's actually really cool to think about. I think, like, fashion opened up here, too, because of the Black population. Mm -hmm. If you think about men's fashion still, like, if you disregard streetwear and everything, it's just, like, basics. I think it's because, at the end of the day, this is going to sound super, like, weird, artsy and edgy, but, like, I think the actual movement of fashion is about challenging societal norms and kind of like how most art is right like you're supposed to make a statement about who you are and like what you believe in through what you're wearing if you're like really into expressing it through your outfits Mm -hmm. and i think that's why like black culture has a big influence on everyone because you're trying to like express that you're not with the normal direction of the crowd you know yeah intellectual jenny thanks (laughs) i should just go to art galleries and start criticizing all the art pieces you know (laughs) Speaking of, like, basics and how, like, pretty much all men who dress well here kind of dress in the same way, I've noticed that here we do have, you know, that general basic fashion trend. I actually hate that word because basic just, it's, like, so degrading when Mm -hmm. you're just, like, wearing, it's nice clothing usually, and, like, why are we judging? Anyways, my point is, besides, like, the basic girl trend, there's actually so many different styles going on here. People will dress in all kinds of ways on the streets of, like, the Western societies. But if you go to Asia... Okay, by the way, in this episode, we don't want to exclude other parts of Asia, but it's, it is mostly, like, Korea, Japan, China we're talking about, just because that's where we've been yeah, and we've observed from. But, like, Korea and Japan... Well, actually, Korea, more specifically, I'll explain why not Japan later in the episode. But most of the girls and guys just dress really similarly. Mm-hmm. You know, men and their... Uh, button ups that are like, like the Korean church or, boy look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the button ups, but they have no like flip out collar. You know, like <laughs> the straight collar button up. That's usually like light blue or white or something. Or like striped. Yeah. Like vertical striped, like thicker. You yeah. Know and then just like a pair of like what do you even what do you even call them like slacks, chinos, something. Yeah. And then girls, of course, there's still more styles and like different silhouettes, but like every year there tends to be like just very uniform looks. Mm-hmm. I think that actually comes from, like, Asia being more collectivist and they just want to, like, be like each other way more than here where individuality is so much more glorified. And that's why we still have COVID. Did I go there? Oh, gosh, Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) On another note, I do think that a lot of kids in the Western society and, like, a lot of people who just, like, don't aren't passionate about fashion do dress alike here. Like, very, like, because we don't have choices. Like, we just have t-shirts and, like, jeans. That's why I meant, like, excluding basic trends. But I think, like, it was definitely noticeable, like, specifically in Korea for us when we visited. It was obvious, not even based on, like, maybe our tan skin or, like, our lack of language. But I think just walking around, if you saw the way we dress, it was just like, oh, they're not from here. Okay, on TikTok, (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, I'm bringing TikTok into this. I discovered like this Korean prank channel on YouTube because they make like short TikToks of their videos and they're actually quite funny sometimes. They basically prank young people who are like picnicking at the Han River during the day. And I noticed how everyone just dresses the same. We'll link their TikTok in our show notes. <laughs> yeah, you should check it out. The pranks are super wholesome. Unlike the problematic prank channels here we, that we have. Rip. I think on that note too, like um, we were talking about Korea, but bringing Japan into this, the interesting thing about Japan, and this is another form of fashion, almost like basics fashion, but on another level, is their professional fashion. And it's like what Connie was bringing up earlier about how everyone has a lot of pressure to always be well-dressed. I think it's more noticeable in Japan if you're staying in an area where there's a lot of like salarymen or mm-hmm. office workers that come out of work or like are going to the subway. You'll notice in the morning that even though those salarymen had to be out at the bars until like 2 a.m., their clothes are always perfectly ironed the next morning and they just do it all over again. Oh, the commitment. Yeah, I, I should honestly start ironing my clothes more. I'm inspired by these people. When you bring up Japanese workers and everything, it reminded me actually that just recently, I think Japan stopped that law. I think it was a law that yeah, women was... have to wear high heels at work. Mm-hmm. Slow changes, but we'll take anything we can get. It just goes to show how dressing a certain way is so important in that culture. Yeah. I really appreciate how there's so many affordable options for professional clothing that's actually really good quality. Like Uniqlo is one of my favorite stores. And I know it's not like super, super affordable, but it's like on the low end of the cost spectrum, especially if you consider the pricing of clothing here. Mm -hmm. But even cheaper than uh, Uniqlo, there's a store called Goo, I believe, that has even lower prices and they still have like pretty nice stuff. Mm-hmm. On another note, since we've talked a lot about conservative fashion and basics and like conformity, we'll go to the elephant in the room about Asian fashion. And um, you you all know if you've seen international students lurking around your towns, but um, I'd say China as a society from the urban regions have an enormous obsession with brands. Oh my goodness. Okay, I think everywhere... It's like valued to wear something of a high-end brand, but Chinese people kind of sometimes do it in an almost tacky way where they just like wear stuff with the brand name everywhere. Mm-hmm. You'll notice like it's like our Aeropostale phase, but like with Gucci, that's like $10,000. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So honestly, we were more embarrassing in our Aeropostale <laughs> phase. I think it's just like a little bit reflective of this weird social comment on Asia, if I can get deep again, because I think the interesting thing you'll note is that the kids who wear brand names um, plastered all all over themselves and are studying internationally, and they're like, they do dress like that in China as well, are like new rich kids, you know? That's exactly it. Like their parents just got rich or something from like their business. But then on the other- You can almost describe the Chinese society as new rich. Yeah. But then on the other side, there's like a few people who are like old rich, is that what it's even called? Anyway. Yeah, I think it is. Um, and like, there's also some people who are new rich, but like trying to be classy. And then their definitions of fashion are like dressing from Ralph Lauren, like Ralph Lauren, Polo, Ralph Polo Lauren. I can just Ralph see Lauren. those Chinese boys with their polo shirts. News. But yeah, like they were kind of like very, very westernized country club Remember clothing. when Lacoste was a big one? Yeah. I think that's the thing. Like a lot of people who try to 
not be new rich we'll wear very very western branded clothing like strongly like we're just here with our plain shirts and like our polos and i think there's no problem with that because it does look really clean and put together as you would expect yeah but it's like kind of like the still the same mentality of how like asia worships western culture this actually transitions really nicely into our streetwear topic because brand names kind of fall into that sure just picture all the chinese boys that were supreme (laughs) Is Supreme still a thing or are people moving on to Palace or like what? what's the new brands that are out there? Listen, I'm not really Hypebeast, <laughs> but we are about to talk about Hypebeast. So bear with me if I sound like a complete like noob. Just reading a Wikipedia page. like It wasn't a Wikipedia super... page. I tried to do my research. <laughs> it's really interesting because I didn't know because I know nothing about streetwear that Hypebeast is Hong Kong based. And it was started by this man called Kevin Ma. And he's actually from Vancouver, I think. How much more Asian can your name get? Sorry, Kevin Wait, Ma. funny story. I told this to Jenny yesterday. I was like writing up my notes after I read all these articles and I had written like Jason Ma everywhere. And I told Jenny that I, it's like such a common name to the point where I interchange it with another common Asian boy name. Right here. We're canceling Connie. Re our previous episode. Because she's Guys, a I apologize. I didn't mean to uh, belittle names the are Jasons very common. The and the Kevins and the- out there. <laughs> okay, yeah. So this just goes to show that like streetwear culture is becoming so big in Asia, and it's forming the next wave of Asian fashion, basically, and making like Asian Americans and Asian Asians look more stylish. Mm-hmm. So Hype Beast actually started off as a sneaker blog. And I think it just kept blowing up from there. And now it's just like a huge media company that follows the latest trends in streetwear. I don't know why. If I imagine, like, I'm assuming the blog was called Hype Beast. Exactly. And I don't know why, but imagining, like, if my friend started a blog called Hype Beast without like the meaning of you know like just putting the word hype and beast together i'd be I like actually read that, what are you doing i actually read the hype beast is a derogatory term but then this blog made it oh like just like took away that meaning of the name i didn't even know I, it was a term yeah i don't really know what the what it was a term for but it's really interesting and now it's just a common term for you know hype beast culture which is just you know, those <laughs> men posting on Instagram, following closely the to the sneaker trends and the streetwear brand name trends and everything. This whole episode is super weird for me to be a part of because it's all about like consumerism and like filling your closets with clothes. But I'm so against that. It's fine. At the same time, though, being aware of fashion is pretty helpful when it comes to like choosing staple pieces in your closet. Though. I also think that it's possible to pursue a hype beast image or like any of these kind of things like my new challenge is to try and come up with fashion styles for myself instead of just wearing basics but still like thrifting and being sustainable exactly you can always be fashionable but sustainable at the same time and you can donate your clothes to people who actually use them too Mm -hmm. that was a tangent let's continue back on this track right streetwear so should i talk more about the history of streetwear in asia 
Um, sure, I guess so, if you want to give us a history lesson. Well, it's just, like, really short, but, um, as you guys probably know, Japanese streetwear is probably the big one in Asia right now. I have co-workers who, when I told them I'm traveling to Japan, they, like, get so jealous because of me being able to shop at the streetwear brands there, and I wouldn't, <laughs> I'm not into that. I find it cool, but it's, like, not my style, so, like, I obviously don't, but they, it's just, like, so well-known to people of any ethnicity here in the West. So um, Japanese streetwear started becoming a thing once they started embracing like Western culture in the 70s, in particular like hip hop culture and everything. Young people areas such as Harajuku, Shibuya, Shinjuku, they became streetwear places where like young people just walked around to show off their fashion. And like you'll still see that if you go to Harajuku to this day. Mm, yeah. The most distinct thing for me visiting Japan was getting to just enjoy all the outfits I was seeing because people fully embrace their concepts. Like, I think here, maybe it's because I'm ignorant towards fashion in general, but I find here like a lot of streetwear is like the easy kind where you like wear like a Supreme or a Palace shirt or like a... It's a um, brand, right? Yeah. Like you just like wear a graphic Nike. tee. <laughs> or like Stussy. Is that even still a thing? I don't know. <laughs> But you kind of just, like, wear a graphic tee, like, something baggy over, like, layer a few things, and then you're, like, streetwear, kind of, like, hypebeast and whatever. Um, I'm so sorry if I'm making assumptions. But in Japan, there's, like, a literal planet of streetwear, like, niche kinds of streetwear, right? Like, you'll find people just wearing, like, I would not blink an eye if I saw a guy wearing, like, neon spikes all over himself. I'd be like, yeah, bro, like, get it. Yeah, so what's interesting, and I'll link this to the show notes. When I was doing research, there's actually a huge Google compilation of Japan fashion through the years of like each year since the 70s. And you can see how style evolved. And like Jenny said, there's very particular styles to Japanese people like Lolita, like a gothic vibe that they have, or like um, kawaii. Apparently that's like a style. Kawaii. (laughs) But they just go all out and it's so cool. I actually have a funny story about this. Um, back when we were in Kyoto, and Connie knows because I've told her multiple times, we were on a bus. Oh my god, I know exactly where this is going. <laughs> and I legitimately thought I saw like a ghost. Um, <laughs> I've only ever watched maybe like five minutes of The Ring, and I spent the rest of it just like turned around watching my friends watch it instead. And basically, like there was this girl sitting on the bus. She was in a like a frilly light 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 pink dress but like it was kind of like you know non-shaped and like Mm kind of like an asian dress there's like no silhouette um just cutesy she had like a almost like a half bonnet on her head her hair was in perfect curls like tight curls that's so satisfying down to like her (laughs) collarbones kind of i'm trying to describe this as much as possible for you guys um and she was wearing white stockings and like those buckled up shoes kind of like mary jane's i think but her skin was also like the color of a piece of paper. Yeah, she made it super, super white. Like, and she's super so skinny too. Pale and so skinny. And then I was like, I turned to Connie. I was like, Connie, don't worry. I didn't say this really loudly because we're not rude people. But I was you like, you actually said this to me after she got off the okay, bus. Yeah. By the way, I was like, Connie, did you see that person or did I just see a ghost on the bus? Because like, I'm not even lying. Like, you'd think I was like exaggerating and being mean to her, but like, legitimately, like her concept was so well executed that I thought I was in the presence of like a supernatural spirit. Yeah, I caught a glimpse of her as she's getting off because I think she was more in Jenny's field of vision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I saw and I was like, whoa. 
that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it was actually like so well executed that like her her concept became her, and I literally thought she was just a ghost on the bus. But that's my little nice side story. side story. Japan is really fashionable. <laughs> I mean, now like Connie was looking into it, and I honestly didn't know that. This is gonna sound so stupid of me. I didn't know that a bathing ape was Japanese. Right? And comme des garçons too. So yeah, I want to mention that Japanese streetwear is huge now that these big brands are literally from Japan and sometimes people don't realize it. Mm-hmm. I also think that like um, we talked about this a little bit in a previous episode. I don't remember specifically which one, but we mentioned how like the popularization and embracement of K-pop since I would say like starting from Big Bang and then really escalating at the point mm-hmm. of BTS has normalized straight men to start exploring fashion here. And I think they're not aware of how it's influencing them. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. What I appreciate about Asia fashion is they actually are less scared of cross-dressing or anything like that than we are here in the West. Because let's just say the Met Gala. Look at all the men arriving in their gray suits, their black suits, their navy suits. When Shawn Mendes pulled up to the Met Gala with his fashionable, normal suit. (laughs) (laughs) It was just all like differently tailored suits, plain suits. The guy that everyone brought up because of the Met Gala as Harry Styles my for guy. wearing a sheer, like, black Sorry, top. And, like, out. isn't it sad that he's one of the few guys that did anything remotely cool? Like, it wasn't even something huge, in my opinion. It was just, like, not a suit. You know, 2020 has um, brought a lot of negative things into this world, but at least men straight men, sorry, are starting to feel comfortable painting their nails. That's a cool trend going That's a on. win, everyone. That's even one win. Even if it's black. You know? That's what most with, men do. Down with the, what do you even call it, toxic masculinity. Yeah. Anyways, back to, like, comparisons. If you compare it to the K-pop industry, a lot of guys have been, like, cross-dressing for quite some time now. I remember there's a photo shoot BTS did for a comeback, like, maybe two, three years ago, where, like, Jin and some other members were wearing high heels. And in China, there's celebrities like Wang Yibo that wear skirts in fashion photo shoots. And it's just so cool to me. Mm -hmm. I think it's, like, largely because Asia has always been, like, kind of open to that sense of, like, fashion being art. But because of the fashion industry being largely tailored to women because of the patriarchy and like women having to be beautiful delicate flowers that care about our visual appearances um in order to get courted and shipped off i think you're really sticking with this (laughs) i think it's because like because of that that when asia wanted to explore fashion and they like wanted to work with gucci and chanel and like all these brands the best looks coming off the runway were like their women's looks. So in so many magazine editorials, they have to wear like the women's clothing because to be honest, the men got nothing going for them in these like in these new lines. And I, I hope it starts changing more and more, you know? I think people are finally starting to see how Asian men are breaking boundaries just by the TikToks of the streetwear in China and stuff. <laughs> Okay, if you haven't seen Chinese streetwear TikTok, it's a funny community to be in because there's people who are trying to emulate it here now, too. Oh my god! (laughs) It's just fun. Fun for the memes, guys. Yeah, it's just being popularized. And K-pop's popularizing a lot of streetwear, too. Like, all the brand names that are famous now from Asia are because, like, I believe in part, like, K-pop idols are wearing it. And people are like, ooh, what are they wearing? Mm -hmm. They look so cool. We mentioned before that um, the general population in Korea and in Japan dress a certain way, especially Japanese like workers. But the people who don't follow those trends and go above and beyond are usually the celebrities. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way it is everywhere in the world, but like more so in Asia. 
Yeah, I think that that's like a contrast since our episode is about East versus West. That's definitely a contrasting point because when I think of male celebrities in the Western world, they're predominantly like straight men. Mm-hmm. Or obviously like there's like our rockin' queer boys in the media as usual. Yeah. But then in terms of straight men, like icons to think of, try to picture the way like, I don't know, who should I mention? Like Robert Downey Jr. dresses or like... Nice choice. Like, you know, the whole Avengers cast that are straight. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do they dress? It's like the way we're all dressing, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they don't have the liberty to push these fashion boundaries as much. And then we have, like, my guy Harry Styles just paving the way. Or even, like, NBA stars. That's yeah. That's one. Ooh. But that's, like, just a black community always doing <laughs> yeah. their thing. Like, they're right. always they're slaying. So stylish. It's sad. Like, I'm really, like, happy that hopefully as we get more and more into artistic expression, like communities that are privileged but also suffocated in a way so like specifically like the white communities yeah um and like the existence of kind of like you know straight cis people Mm -hmm. um hopefully like they can challenge like their own freedom of like expressing themselves in these ways um without having to like you know feel weird about it well put i hope that we can all achieve that too i'm fighting for you guys white people i want you to be true to yourselves (laughs) Okay, let's move on to our last segment, where we just want to mention Next in Fashion, if you guys have been watching that Ooh. on Netflix. Yeah, I think Next in Fashion, we clicked on it, or Connie gave the first episode a watch first, and we realized like it was the most I've been like pumped about a Netflix, or a, Com- about any like Western competitions show in a, like ever. Mm-hmm. We'll give a brief synopsis, but you should go watch it. It's just about like these designers who come from all around the world, like quite literally, and they came to like the Netflix studio to design like one theme for clothing every week. And they only and, have two days to do it. Usually. Yeah, exactly. And they have to sew everything and get the material themselves. It looks so stressful. It's like design school and crack, I'm guessing. Not that I know what design school is like, but we're mentioning it because there are two people in there from or there are multiple people in there from the asian community yeah but we just like have two to highlight that stood out to us in terms of their styles we're not going to spoil how far they got so yeah we won't highlight their performance but it was just super impactful and inspiring i find i think it's because in episode one these two people teamed together to create something and on the runway it contrasted so much with everyone else's and that's why we like have an impression of them yep so these designers are minju kim from korea and well, South Korea, to be more clear. Nice. And Angel Chen from China. Mm-hmm. We don't want to give things away, but their style is just so much more Asian. It's hard to describe how it is, but you'll like be able to understand once you watch it. I found Angel Chen in particular super inspiring because she mentioned that she is basically on the show to show the world that Chinese people have a place in fashion too. And I know there's other Asian designers that are pretty big, but she's basically the only notable designer right now from China. Yeah, like, she's native to China, working in China, so, like, her clothes doesn't really, like, obviously you can order internationally, but she's kind of, like, unique in the sense where, to be honest, for most industries to succeed in China, you want to expand, right? Like, TikTok's a good example, even though they're being wrecked right now. Um, No, they'll, they'll sell, it's fine. But I think that she's an example of how, instead of leaving China to succeed, she's trying to build up, like, a brand and give native options to, like, her 
country or whatever. Mm-hmm. It sounds super patriotic, but it, not really. It's kind of like challenging an industry and trying to build the industry, literally. Yeah, I find that most people who went onto the show really don't have much of a name yet, but she actually is pretty well known, mm-hmm. um, even before coming on the show. But I think she wanted to break into the Western world more. Like Connie was saying, they had a very distinct style because, like I was mentioning in episode one, I think they stood out in episode one because everyone else was designing from European fashion, from American fashion, fashion, you know, and like it was so bizarre to suddenly have Asian fashion, like one model walk onto the runway and it was just like, wow, this is a different look. Yes. And I wouldn't say like Asian fashion is rare per se, but I think on runways and in high fashion, it's not well exposed. That's exactly why I said it was hard to describe how their fashion was Asian, because when you picture high end Asian fashion, like what even is that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think we see it a lot because we're in the K-pop industry, in the C-pop but industry. That's not like high fashion, though. Well, in music, in fashion. Sorry, we're debating, but like in magazine editorials. Okay. But yeah. that's usually like Western brands. But they still style it the Asian way. Okay. The styling. Right? So it's like, like full on clothing pieces sometimes. Yeah. But like, I think when they walk onto the runway, you feel a sense of familiarity if you're like aware of Asian fashion, but it's also still challenging high fashion boundaries. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So I personally have been waiting for Angel Chen's website to come back on since watching her in like episode one, basically. And I wanted to see like what kind of clothes she puts out now post competition just if you take a look at angel chen's instagram her style is so inspired from streetwear and like sportswear and i think it's so dope Mm -hmm. i think before we finish up the episode two we'll just finish up topic three by connie talking about her fanning over minju kim and like the stuff she puts out on her instagram and everything post the competition With Minju, the clothing she designs is just so sophisticated and elegant. And Uh, it's, like, not super, like, we were saying that Koreans only dress this way. Yeah. It's, like, incorporating Korean style into innovation. Fun fact, if you watch It's Okay to Not Be Okay, a lot of the things that Ko Moon Young, the main girl in that drama, wears is designed by Minju Kim. Wow. So if you like her style and think it's cool, then you'll like Minju Kim. I think the funny thing is that Minju Kim is one of Connie's aspiring styles, and then Angel Chen is one of my aspiring styles. <laughs> you can tell styles. our different styles and personalities. Yeah. I also want to mention really quickly about Asian fashion and how I observed it in Nexon fashion. Not to give much away, but I found that these two Asian competitors struggled a little bit more with creating sexy pieces, and it's really cute to see like what they consider to be sexy. Mm-hmm. We mentioned before that um, it's more conservative the way Asians dress. Yeah, that was funny. I think it's like even in episode one, just as a spoiler, I guess, the challenge is about red carpets and people create like pretty sexy pieces for red carpets, <laughs> but they were just like, nah, bruh. <laughs> Overall, I think if you're interested in seeing the contrast between Eastern and Western fashion, Next in Fashion is a really good show to start off with because they literally just put the world designers together. Yeah, it's not just Asian fashion. There's designers from everywhere mm-hmm. in the world. And I think it's really cool that they included. Yeah, each of them are kind of designs. influenced by their backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And it's like the first time that fashion has really spoken to me because I saw it being created. And now I'm just like, I'm going to thrift. I'm going to sew. I'm going to be fashionable. That's Connie's hard like, to get Jenny been to there. Do. <laughs> I've always been the one that likes shopping more and everything. <laughs> I think that just about wraps up our fashion topic. I guess it's a little shorter this episode. 
we want to leave some time to address some feedback we got for our sustainability episode. Mm -hmm. Before we finish off, we wanted to share some comments from you guys, the listeners. And this one specifically is from Josephine. She messaged us with some feedback to our sustainability in Asia episode. And I actually talked about Josephine in that episode because she's the one who shared the vegan cookbook with me. And her feedback was super valuable, and I think everyone needs to hear it because you need to hear about sustainability through multiple different perspectives. So one thing that she did bring up is that she completely agrees that sustainability is viewed in a very whitewashed and non-inclusive way, and it only validates actions of, like, the developed countries, which is basically just the Western countries. Mm -hmm. So there is, like, a racial issue there. Yeah. And also, like, in terms of the way we presented it, she did point out to be careful of cherry picking. And what that means is by picking out, like, specific actions that each country is doing, it seems like we're just, like, you know, giving examples of how they're targeting symptoms and not really addressing the root causes, which is a Uh big thing. I think because of, like, the length of our episodes, it was hard to go in-depth, but maybe, like, if there's more room for discussion from the audience and, like, your reception, we can go into each country in detail. Yeah, we can do a deep dive. Yeah, their environmental um, reality. Mm -hmm. I think one thing I did want to bring up is that she asked a follow-up question that I tried to do some research into. And this specifically was around um, China's plastic ban being largely a target of the symptom and not the root problem. So is it inclusive of rural communities? How exactly are we going to proceed with this? We, very, I'm very not China. How exactly are they going to proceed with this? The answer is that plastic bags are not actually going to all be banned by 2020 or end of 2020. They're starting off with the straws. So I think going based off my assumptions on rural communities, they don't need straws. Yeah, I don't think anyone needs straws. (laughs) So I think like that's going to affect just maybe like franchises and some smaller businesses, but they can just literally put stuff in cups. But overall, there is like a merging plan. Like plastic bags are banned from all cities and towns by 2022 and market selling fresh produces will be exempt until 2025. So that's where we get like the local sellers, right? Like the farmer's markets. And the production and sale of plastic bags of less than 0.025 millimeters thick will also be banned. So I think they're just creating standards from like all levels of the supply chain. Um, Restaurant industries must reduce all their plastic items by 30%. Hotels cannot offer single-use plastic items by 2025, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that the alternatives here, and I think Josephine was really great for pointing it out, is that it's true that China does not have a ton of solid alternatives in place other than just banning it, because I think when they ban it, people have to come up with other options. So they're promoting development of a lot of biodegradable plastic bags and containers. The argument for this that I've seen online is that biodegradable plastic is not actually always biodegradable. So in the instance of me, I mostly live in Toronto, and there they don't actually compost biodegradable plastics. So it's completely useless. I find that happens a lot. Like I read that even with those special garbage cans that separate recycling from garbage, a lot of areas and facilities will just combine the two anyways. So it's basically (laughs) useless when you're trying your best to recycle. It's funny that you bring that up because if you get my tailored um, sustainability presentation, I literally disregard recycling as an act of sustainability. But yeah. (laughs) On that note, that was aggressive. Um, I think they're just really trying to create these biodegradable things. And the good thing about China is that they did implement the garbage separation that we talked about in the episode. So I think if they have biodegradable plastics, they will figure out a way to sort that out. And the only other option is that they're switching a lot of products, like corporations are switching a lot of products to um, like being refillable, you know? That's good. 
But I think there is a lot of room for improvement still. Definitely. And I'm glad Josine brought it up so we can address it today. Go listen to the episode if you haven't yet, if this sparked your curiosity. Just Plug. a little promo. <laughs> All right. Should we move on to my recommendation? Yes. Go, Connie. In line with our fashion topic and with our Asian fashion topic, I want to recommend a YouTuber to you all that isn't super big, especially in the Western world. I think most of our audience is Chinese, so you guys should check her out. Her channel is called Savvy's Look. I'll link it in the show notes. And her videos are in Chinese, but I believe she does have a fan that subs some of them. I know it's not usually up to date, but you can definitely find some videos that are subbed with English and maybe some other languages. She is just a fashion YouTuber, probably the only fashion YouTuber I watch besides Best Dressed. <laughs> True, Ashley. Because her pieces are really like sophisticated and mature. I think it's like a really nice style for young professionals who still want to look stylish at work, but are dressed work appropriately. I can't say the same for like Best Dressed. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, like the Chinese culture where there's a lot of consumerism, especially because this girl's rich. She does have huge collections of clothing. But what I do enjoy about her videos is that she will go through pieces and talk about really the quality of it. And also, she doesn't just buy from high-end brands because she's rich. She does a whole range of brands from really affordable clothing to really expensive clothing. So you have like a huge range to pick from. And because she focuses a lot on pieces that I believe look really timeless, I think it actually could help your personal sustainability if you go and see what you like from her collection and pick pieces that you like and then you won't have to like buy too much Mm -hmm. savvy's look i watched a few of her videos with connie i don't personally subscribe to her but that's just based on my like you know my opposition towards hoarding like clothes Mm -hmm. um but wait i subscribe to ashley i'm a hypocrite but anyway (laughs) ashley's really like open about how um fashion impacts sustainability though yeah i would say if you're hesitant to check out savvy's channel i wouldn't be because like i know we talked about her like she's a chinese fashion influencer but this comes back to the point i was talking about earlier this episode on how chinese people who like to be a little more high class and clean um will go towards like western fashion and that's what savvy does like i think she kind of like consolidates the two so her fashion is largely like western influenced but like with an asian elegance um so like yeah so the clothes is like completely wearable for us in canada and for Mm -hmm. like the u.s and for anywhere in the western world so it's like worth checking out if you shop with restraint please people (laughs) (laughs) that's the main take-home message appreciate fashion but also keep in mind that you should be sustainable Mm -hmm. but her channel's like so well filmed like you'll enjoy it it's like super serene yeah (laughs) and she also has really like peaceful vlogs and cooking videos and home decor videos is just like a lot of satisfying content. Mm-hmm. Nice, Connie. Cool. So once again, I'll link her channel in our show notes and you should check her out. All right. And now I'll just end off the podcast. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed our discussion on this week's topic. To hear more, you can subscribe to The Bicultural Identity on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. While you're at it, we would also greatly appreciate any reviews on iTunes or simply sharing our podcast with your family and friends. But of course, no pressure. As well, any opinions and experiences discussed are solely based on our own experiences as second gens. We invite you to share your thoughts on our social media at TBI Podcast on Twitter and at The Bicultural Identity on Instagram, where you can also find the link to our WordPress show notes. Thanks again for listening and be sure to tune in next Monday for our next episode. 
See you then.